All right. For today's episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets, we're going to have a little bit of a different interview because this is somebody who's not in direct response, but somebody who I respect tremendously. Brian Artinger, uh, we're, we'll get to your bio in a minute, but I want to start off since you're in the trenches, like you're neck deep in innovation all day long. I want to ask you, why is innovation so important, even essential for entrepreneurs today? Well, I've been talking about innovation for probably my entire career. And until about uh, maybe two and a half years ago, uh, when you said, hey, you need to prepare for change and you need to prepare to be more adaptable than that, uh, not everybody got it. Uh, and then I think COVID kind of changed this, the, the layout of the land there. And everybody now, I think, kind of understands what disruption actually means and more and more understanding that to get through that disruption, you have to innovate. You have to be able to uh, create new things with your ideas. And that's kind of uh, everything that I've been doing over the last uh, couple of decades of my life has been focused on how do we create more builders, makers, doers, uh, and creators. These are the proven direct response, marketing, copywriting, and entrepreneurship success strategies you can use today to write your own ticket and create the life you want. I am Roy Furr, and this is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Now, here's today's breakthrough. Awesome. So now we're reaching this 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 crest of the wave where it's just right. becoming. It's time to surf, right? Um, so. Uh, Brian, is, well, Brian Artinger is the founder of Inside Outside, which is a community for innovative entrepreneurs uh, that also offers a weekly podcast and newsletter. There will be a link in the description to check that out. He is also the director of innovation at Nelnet here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, and he spent over 25 years helping entrepreneurs navigate and compete in a world of change and disruption. He's it, he he has clients everything from like the the brand new startup or even the person who wants to be a brand new startup <laughs> all the way up to clients like Pepsi, Target, Nike, Mazda, Harley Davidson, Royal Caribbean, Microsoft, IBM, HP, Gartner, uh, and and he is a leader in the Silicon Prairie, uh, which is where I met him. We're both based in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, he is he is a name that pretty much everybody that's involved with tech innovation in the Midwest, they know his name. They know he's been a driving force in the startup community in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he's the author of the new book, Accelerated, A Guide to Innovating at the Speed of Change, which was my excuse for having him on. Brian, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's Roy. It's been a, a couple of years since we sat down at a coffee shop and just uh, talked about innovation and, and entrepreneurship. And it's glad to see uh, all the stuff that you're building as well. Yes. Well, thank you. Uh, so let's let's dive in. You have a chapter uh, near the beginning of your book called The Forces of Accelerating Change. And so you mentioned COVID in your uh, initial answer there, but that's that's just a fraction of yeah. uh, what's behind the accelerating change in our world right now. So can you speak to, to um, how change is kind of coming to a head and coming at us from all different angles and, and forcing us to think about this at this point? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started writing this book about a month before COVID kind of hit. And again, the original book was going to be about how you needed to get prepared for a lot of these upcoming changes. And COVID wasn't in the book initially, but uh, I saw all these converging forces. And, you know, when we think about innovation, obviously our mind goes towards technology and you look at all the technology forces that are changing the landscape, whether it's, you know, artificial intelligence or robots or self-driving cars, or, you know, name any one of these technologies that you hear about. Uh, and anyone has the chance to really um, 
change an industry or change a person's trajectory, and yet they're all hitting at once. Uh, and so it was it was imperative to to talk about not only technology and the things that are happening in this this cumulative effect that they're having, but all the other things that um, technology is leaning to, whether it's access to markets. So if you think about it from an entrepreneur perspective, you know, 20 years ago when I was in this entrepreneur space, um, to get a company off the ground, you had to have a big ad budget. You had to go to, you know, there's certain places you can go for media and that, but now you can really target and, and, and access markets, you know, micro markets uh, that you could never access before. So you've got, you know, technology, you've got markets, you've got things like uh, just the, the abundance of access to people, you know, you know, these network effects where you can access talent anywhere around the world now. And all these things uh, are, are changing the landscape. But I think more importantly, it, it really flips things on the edge because anybody now can be a creator and anybody can have the opportunity to create something and take their idea and create something of value from that. Where in the past, you had to have more capital, more access to tools and things like that. And it's just making it easier to experiment and try things. Okay, so I I totally agree. Like the the capacity to get a business off the ground, even even like as I got started with a copywriting business, like a business consulting business, the internet was was kind of coming into its own. So yeah. instead of me having to to like find these people all over the world and maybe like cold call them or send them a direct mail piece to introduce myself as a copywriter. I was able to email people. I was able to connect with people. I was getting emails, which right. gave me access to all of that. And that's, geez, uh, you know, like close to 20 years ago at this point. Um, and, and all of this has continued to compound in its benefits, but it also creates, um, it creates uncertainty in markets and for individuals. Um, so, like, what's the what's the dark side of all this accelerating change, too? Like, what's the so? Uh, you know, I think, quite frankly, a lot of people aren't prepared for this. Uh, if you think about, especially people in, I guess, maybe cor traditional corporate environments. Okay. If you think about a traditional corporation, you know, they figured out their business model, and their job is to optimize and, and execute on that particular business model, and continue to grow and, and, but a lot of the plan is kind of built out and your job is to execute the plan. Or if you, you know, flip the stage, whether it's an entrepreneur or quite frankly, the world that we're living in right now, you have to be much more of an explorer. Uh, you have, because the plans are not, you know, laid out in stone. You don't know that if you take step A, B, and C, you're going to get to where you need to go because everything has changed along the, on that, uh, along that journey. And so I think, you know, more than ever, we've got to think about what are the skill sets, the, the tool sets, the job, the, the mindset that you need to be more adaptable and to kind of create your own path, um, whether you're in an existing company or whether you're building your own from scratch. Okay. So, so essentially like this, I, 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 I'm imagining like, you know, the, the, the big corporations and if each one is represented by their logos um, and that's like, you know, their business model and all of that is represented by their logos. It's like what, what we're seeing right now is those logos are cracking. The business models are cracking and it's, and it's um, causing uh, like each of those cracks becomes an opportunity and it's right. either an opportunity for someone inside that business to patch the crack and maybe create something better. Uh, <laughs> there's, I think it's a, there's this Japanese art of taking like broken, uh, or maybe it's Chinese, like broken a uh, broken teacup, 
and patching it. And it's considered to be better than the original when it's been like recreated. Um, and, and, and there's an opportunity to do that, or that crack is just going to continue to grow and fissure and create an right. opportunity for entrepreneurs. And so then the, the, the opportunity comes to the person who has read your book, Accelerate it. I mean, you know, somebody who understands innovation. Um, so I think you have a unique perspective on this. And so I do want to get into your background a little bit. Um, and your experiences and how that has contributed to this. So, so right now your position is in this big publicly traded company. It's known for being in the student loans business, but also functions as a startup accelerator itself, right? It has a whole segment of it. Um, so constantly creating companies. Um, but you also have a background, like you worked, you were connected to the local university and you formed a startup accelerator that was connected to the community and the university, as far as I understand it. So there were startups coming up through that and we're just scratching the surface. So like, how has it, how has this idea and this drive to understand innovation and, and drive innovation, how has that come out of your background and your experiences? Yeah. And, you know, can you share something about that? Yeah. So I think I got a lot of kind of the tactics of how do you innovate from working with startups. So you know, about 10 years ago, I started the first accelerator program here in Nebraska called Enmotion, still going on along today. Uh, it's been driven right now by Generator, which is an accelerator pro program out of uh, Madison and Milwaukee. And uh, when we first started, it was, it was really an experiment. Um, I, I was the entrepreneur in residence at New Tech Ventures, which was the tech transfer arm of the university. And I went in there, I think originally to maybe find some technology and spin it out. But when I got in there, I saw this huge opportunity between that was missing in our local ecosystem and the opportunity to try to double down and create early stage companies and help early stage entrepreneurs uh, accelerate their journey. So whether that was access to capital, access to mentors, just access to the things that they need and take that long two-year lonely journey that a lot of entrepreneurs go through and try to accelerate it and you know, bring the right people together to help on, along that, that path. And as, as I did that for a couple of years and helped, you know, you know, 20 plus companies kind of incubate and, and get started, um, I learned a lot about what it takes to take that early initial seed of an idea and then incrementally move that forward uh, yeah. to, to a point where you actually have some value creation. Uh, and I think a lot of that portion of the, that, that journey of success is, is unknown by a lot of people. You know, they, they, they see the success stories after the fact, you know, they hear yes. about, you know, Steve and Steve jobs in his garage with the uh, Wozniak and, and, you know, years later they've got the, you know, trillion dollar company. Uh, but we don't always see the, the beginning stages and what it really takes and what was the initial idea and how did that change from the idea that took off and all that kind of stuff. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, working with entrepreneurs and trying to understand that process, you know, things like lean startup methodologies and, and just, customer discovery and understanding what a customer really wants versus what they say they want. Um, yeah. And then through that journey, I got pulled into the corporate realm because corporates kept coming to me saying, how are these companies moving so fast? And, and how do I get in touch with them? And how do I work with them? And how do I kind of get that mojo? Because we know we have to innovate faster, better, uh, smarter, uh, but we don't have it. We don't have that in our, in our DNA. Yeah. So I started uh, the podcast Inside Outside Innovation as a way to help tell those stories. So we interviewed corporates who were doing this and, and startup founders and venture capital and 
tr to try to tell the stories of, of what it takes to create these things. We started a newsletter and then we started an annual conference where we brought these people together with the idea of bring, bringing the, the ties and the t-shirts in the same room and see what happens when you, when you explore this concept of innovation. And so I, I would say through that journey, it, it allowed me to see a lot of things at the earliest stages and kind of take some of the things um, that seemed to be working and, and also identify some of the things that weren't working and then apply that to creation of, you know, startup or, a, you know, enterprise within a company. Yeah. So would you say that, that like that process that you started to narrow down, you know, whether you're involved at, at in a, in a startup by the traditional sense sure. or uh, like a entrepreneur startup um, is, is your one, two, three, four framework like relevant to that or. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So let me talk through it. So in the book, I talk about there's kind of three engines of innovation that if you're going to accelerate your innovation efforts, you really have to focus on three key areas. And the first is explore um, your exploration engine. And that's really all about identifying and getting more ideas into your funnel. Um, you know, it's about exploring different industries. It's about exploring different ways of, uh, you know, people that you meet and, and uh, collisions of, of different ideas from that perspective. And you know, once you accelerate your exploration, it helps identify ideas that can cra uh, crash into each other and, and hopefully find some ones that actually take place. Yes. Um, the second engine is the engagement engine, which is really how do you take those ideas and then start socializing them and get, getting feedback, uh, whether it's feedback in the market by talking to customers or, or feedback from colleagues to see which of these particular ideas has some legs and which ones show some evidence that they might work. And then the third engine is the experimentation engine. It doesn't really matter if you have all these ideas, if you don't take action on it. And the experimentation yeah. engine's all about how do you take action on these ideas and incrementally move them forward to de-risk the idea and, and you know, create value along that path. And so I developed a, a one, two, three methodology to really just get in the headspace of, of what it takes to move an early idea forward. And okay. so the, the concept is uh, one, two, three, four. So one is one minute. Two is two hours, three is three days, and four is four weeks. Each particular bucket is just a little bit more increment of time as you identify uh, what's needed in this bucket. So one minute bucket is uh, you're constantly jotting down with one minute, you know, what are the ideas, problems that you see, um, and getting used to building up that, that inflow, that funnel of ideas. From that funnel, the first one minute that you've jotted down, at some point, some of those ideas are going to kind of come to the surface. You're going to be thinking about it more often. And yeah. you say, well, let me double down on that. So I'm going to spend two hours, the next stage, um, to flesh that out a little bit more. Maybe I'm going to do a little research. Is there anybody else doing this? How often do I see this problem? Who has it? You know, Kind of outline what the problem is. If after that two hours, um, you know, during that process, that two hours, you're also maybe asking a couple friends or, or your colleagues or a couple customers, you know, are you seeing, seeing this? What do you, what do you see in this space? After that two hours, if you have enough evidence to say, Hey, we should probably spend a little bit more time. There seems to be something here. Um, then you take a, maybe a three-day sprint to do some further research, do some uh, customer discovery. And at the three days, then you can, again, reevaluate and say, do I have enough evidence to put the next block of time, money, resources into it? And that may be a yeah. four-week sprint where you're building a prototype, for example. And it's just a way to think through and then at each block, kind of take note of um, not what you feel about what the idea is, but do you actually have evidence that you should be spending more time or money or resources to move that idea forward? 
I really appreciate that. Like, this is one of the things um, that I I really feel like there's a, a huge overlap between the direct response world, uh, which is where I play more and a lot of my subscribers play yeah. more. And the especially like the lean startup world. When I read lean startup, I thought that's scientific advertising applied to mm. um, applied to creating businesses. Right. Um, and this is very much, I, I love the thinking behind this because what you've described is not necessarily, oh, let's come up with some new technology or some like new, I don't know, social media site or something, right? Yeah. It could be used in that context, right? Like if you're trying to create the next TikTok or whatever, you could use the one, two, three, four to figure out if it's something that you could get a hundred users for, right? Yeah. Um, or if you're trying to figure out what your next marketing funnel is going to be, you could have a bunch of one minute ideas that you just yes. capture. You could have some two hour kind of exploration of what kind of traction that idea might get. You could run a survey that takes three days that gathers some data about how people are responding to maybe a few of your different one minute ideas. And then over four weeks, you could create just a test campaign to see if it gets if it gets gets any kind of traction in the market yeah. and is worth rolling out. It, it's, I, a, it's a great point because, you know, I think oftentimes we think of innovation, we think of, we have to come up with the, the business idea, the next, you know, self-driving car, the next light bulb, whatever. But innovation really is taking a seed of an idea and creating value from that idea. And that could yeah. be a new product feature that you want to test yeah. or something like that. So the methodology and the thought process behind it really applies Again, whether you're creating a brand new company from scratch that's going to dominate the world to I'm working within a team and I just need to um, innovate more effectively and get some more ideas out there and, and see if they're if they're if there's something. Yeah, there. I, I have any kind of offer, any kind of product in the marketplace and I need to know what 2.0 is going to look like. Right. right. Like, OK, that's that's excellent. Um, so. So in this context, um, how do I want to ask this next question? I guess um, if you're if you're working with a brand new business, what does the innovation process look like for that? Mm -hmm. Versus, okay, I'm working inside, and obviously yeah. um, you don't necessarily need to tell a Nelnet story, but I'm working inside sure. a bigger company like Nelnet. What does the innovation process look like there where maybe the resources are different, the stakes are different, et cetera, yeah. the stakeholders are different? So part of it is trying to understand where that idea initially sits. So for example, you know, in an existing company, big company, they've got existing customers, they've got existing markets, you know, they have existing products. Uh, and so the idea that's coming out, is it something that is kind of very close to the core of something you're already doing? So, you know, what we call horizon one type of innovation where um, you're kind of optimizing or tweaking or, or experimenting around things that you already pretty much know, but you, there's something different to it. Or is it further out on the horizon? Is it a horizon two or horizon three? Um, horizon two being it's, it's adjacent to what you're currently yeah. building. Uh, and then finally, horizon three is more transformational, brand new idea, brand new market, brand new ed or whatever. So I think yeah. first is both understanding that innovation happens along the, those horizons um, and the, the closer to the core, the more likely you are to have a lot of knowns in that. Like you maybe know yeah. the customer, um, you know the products, you you have access to resources that you wouldn't have at a transformational type of idea. 
So first is taking stock and what that where's that idea sit, because uh, each type of type of idea is going to execute a little bit differently. So if you're coming up with a brand yeah. new transformational idea, it's going to take you longer. There's far more unknowns. There's more tests you're going to have to do, uh, but the potential upside might be massive. And so you have to balance that out. Um, you may also be able to, to do a lot of Horizon One ideas because they're, again, close to the core. They're, you can execute on it. You have particular methodologies you can put into play. And so the first thing is kind of understanding innovation and the horizons around it and where does that kind of sit? Uh, because th then you can get into the same one, two, three, four process. Um, the ideas that are more known will go through that process faster because there's more knowns. Yes. And the ones that are further out will probably take you longer to go through that because there's more unknowns to and the more assumptions that you're going to have to test along the way. So uh, what's interesting, like I'm seeing a parallel here uh, in in the direct response publishing world, there's this business model that's that's really developed since the 90s. And I'm thinking of one specific company, um, but it started as like, OK, we have this company, we have a successful publisher. Okay, we kind of uh, have have run into some kind of growth limit for this little company. But what if we duplicated the model, and then we cross uh, cross promoted between right. the two companies that are sharing the same ownership structure, sharing the same you know top level corporate structure, and importantly, it's more of a horizon one because it's sharing all the same resources, it's sharing the same back end, but they operate as two different brands within the umbrella. And the biggest company in the space, they started growing a bunch of these brands from within. You know, they gave the capacity for people to innovate. So, okay, you have a new voice that you'd like to bring into the marketplace. Um, you have access to all of our resources, but it's duplicating the same, right. or it's 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 tapping into all Leveraging of those bigger resources. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the Horizon Two and Horizon Three innovation is much less likely. They're more likely to go out and acquire a competitor that may. Right. Um, be able to to grow faster through accessing the the big resources. Um, so the question that came up as you were describing that, like this is excellent. The question that came up is, if if I'm if I'm launching a startup today, right, and I feel like I have some innovation in the marketplace. Um, let's say, <laughs> without without spilling too many beans, um, let's say I have an innovation in like a, a financial technology. Uh, the financial technology market. So there is the, I could bootstrap it myself. Mm -hmm. I could try to like do this, this innovative thing myself. And maybe I could bring in some investors, you know, that might give me some resources that allow me to do that versus I could connect with some big company that maybe has their thing going, but maybe for them, mm -hmm. this would be a horizon two, horizon three innovation. Right. Like, what are the advantages and disadvantages for somebody who is an innovative entrepreneur to taking those different paths? I mean, you've seen a lot of yeah. people go those so, ways. So, so a lot of a lot of the what we've learned in innovation and what I apply in like my work with Nelnet and other corporates, I've learned from the startup realm. Yeah, you know, I've, I've learned yeah. what it takes to get something off the ground in that. And a, a, there's a lot of differences within the corporate environment as you're talking about, and a lot of those kind of outside the the normal um, uh, kind of key things that a corporate does, um, yeah. you know, the transformational kind of stuff, they're, they're typically not good at it because they have hired for, you know, a type of person that knows how to run this particular business model or has access to, you know, that particular type of customer, et cetera. And so they're, they're really optimizing an engine that they know. Yes. The further you get out there, more transformational, the more 
I recommend that you take a look outside because again, there's probably folks that are running faster or doing things differently that and have more um, understanding of the nuances than you would have to as a corporate, you know, doing something over here and then having to come over to here. And so sometimes it's it's better to you know keep your eyes and ears on what's going on uh, outside your your realm, even outside your industry. I think a lot of corporates fall down because they focus on what are the competitors and the startups in their industry, where there's yes. plenty of startups and plenty of ideas out there that are in adjacent industries or, or different industries that they could leverage or, or buy or, or um, put into place that, that would change the industry itself because most co- corporates are not necessarily looking outside. Um, and that's why I named well, it inside outside is because both are important <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and both are, are, are required, I think, in the, today's changing world. The, the classic uh, example of that for me is the drive through window. I mean, they existed <laughs> on banks. They existed yes. on banks for almost as long as there were cars, right? And then it wasn't it wasn't Ray Kroc, uh, contrary to popular opinion. There was some hamburger guy, I think, in Oklahoma or Texas, maybe it's some, somewhere along Route 66, uh, like looked at the bank drive through and then went back and looked at this highway side hamburger stand and all the people driving past it and said, what if, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and then, and then took, took the, the saw to the brick, side of the brick building and, and said, well, here's a window uh, order here and completely transformed the hamburger stand. And then what we know of as fast food today. Um, and and so that's an example of going completely outside of your industry and saying, that's an interesting innovation. How can I bring that forward? And then from an individual perspective, it's also we encourage our corporates to get out and and be a part of the startup ecosystem. You know, mentor at accelerators and and go to pitch events and that because you you start learning some of the skills and some of the things that entrepreneurs do naturally or or as part of what they have to do to kind of get a business off the ground. And you can start yeah. taking those tools and taking those skills and, and applying it to what you're building in your own existing uh, engine, for example. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, you're familiar with the the roles of, um, like, visionary versus implementer, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and I think what I've seen, or at least my bias in corporate, is is you end up with this, this, this pull uh, towards people who are more implementer oriented, right? And the bigger the company, the more important it is that everybody thinks in system thinking and uh, doesn't step too far outside of their box. Um, and and there's that. And, and for me, from the entrepreneurial side, I, most entrepreneurs I know are diagnosable with ADHD if they haven't already <laughs> been like me. <laughs> and, and we could all use a little bit more implementer. Um, yeah. A little bit more influence. So there's this this uh, give and take, this push and pull that happens. So, like <clears throat> having run a, you would call it like in motion and innovation accelerator. Yeah. Having run that, where it's more focused on startups, and then being in the uh, director of innovation role at Nelnet, like how how do these innovation accelerators work? Like, yeah. and what's the, what's the, uh, you know, h- how can we understand them, I guess? Yeah. So I think fundamentally it goes back to, there are two core engines that you're, that you're trying to make work. And the innovation engine is full of unknowns. 
You know, at, at yeah. the earliest stages, it's all about exploration. It's about figuring yeah. out who's the customer, what's the problem they really have, how do I deliver that value, uh, what do I have to have in place to make that all happen. All, all that's mostly unknown at, at an early stage kind of startup or a, a new idea. As that idea gets fleshed out, and as you start having customers and you start building systems and that, it starts moving closer and closer to the world of ex, um, the execution side, which is more the traditional business side, the more MBA kind of focused. And okay. it, it, ideas have to go along that particular path. Very few ideas you know, come out of the head of somebody and immediately are 100% uh, foolproof, executable, you know, let's optimize and keep going. And so th that's, that's really the key. It's like, how do you move from exploration to ex um, engagement or, or exploration to, um, to the execution side of things? And I think that's yeah. where um, both sides, whether it's an entrepreneur or a corporate, kind of sometimes in the middle, um, you know, knock heads and, and, and it's the challenging part. And, but if you can get past that exploration phase to a point where you can you know, accelerate that and, and expand it, that's when you create real growth and real, real value creation. And that's the ultimate goal for any entrepreneurs is probably to get through the exploration phase so that they can execute and, and create something of real value. Yeah, so it's about and 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 that does tie back to the uh, the the three engines of innovation that you do talk about in the book. I mean, so you start you explore the ideas, um, and I love the 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 grounding and kind of eternal principles here because there's a book by James Webb Young that's a, a technique for producing ideas, and it's all about advertising and coming up with ideas for writing advertising. And, it, and it's kind of the same thing. You explore first. Mm -hmm. You're you're trying to get all these inputs. And then you engage, you you play with the ideas, you connect the dots between seemingly disparate ideas. There's a copywriter, John Carlton, that calls um, calls it incongruous juxtaposition, taking two ideas that may yeah. seem like they don't fit together and forcing them and seeing what happens. Um, and then you experiment, you put it in the market um, as quickly as possible so that yes. you can get that, that traction, so that you can get that. Well, and I think that's where corporates fall down. They, they immediately jump to the fact, oh, I've got to have a perfect plan. And so I, I'll spend six months yeah. and, and come up with a, you know, a 300-page business plan and I'll <laughs> do that all in the, in the boardroom and then they'll feel like they can launch it. Well, whatever they launch is probably not going to be right because they've spent six yes. months not talking to anybody or, or thinking about it versus actually you know, getting out there, testing it and seeing what assumptions were right and what assumptions were wrong because inevitably you're going to have assumptions that are wrong in that particular process. Um, I think this process also, the, the one, two, three, four, kind of allows, um, gives permission for corporates and or early stage entrepreneurs to kind of be okay with the failure that's going to happen because most ideas yes. are not going to get to a place, but it, it's much easier to say, okay, I spent two hours on it. It's not, I'm not interested in it, or I, there's 20 other competitors. I don't really want to go down that path. And so I'm just going to kill the idea at two hours, you know, yeah. versus having to build up the you know, the business plan and figuring out how I'm going to execute on it and all this other stuff and then launching and finding out you're wrong. Well, let's, let's, you know, accelerate that process so that you're putting more ideas into your funnel. You're figuring out which ones have traction and you're doubling down on the ones that are actually showing evidence that you can move them forward. And again, so that applies to entrepreneur or, a, or corporate. Yeah. So the point of the one, two, three, four is not necessarily to say like, oh, we're first, we're going to spend a minute, then we're going to spend two hours, then we're going to spend three days, then we're going to spend uh, four weeks, it is at the end of one minute, you say, is this worth two more hours? Right. And then at the end of two hours, is this worth three more days? And right. three, four, yeah. 
you get the point. And the, and the numbers are largely irrelevant. I mean, you could take two minutes, you could take three days, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. more about the, the systematic approach to saying, do taking a stop at the end of that set time and saying, what have I learned? What do I need to learn? Is it worth spending the next amount of cycles to learn that next thing? And if it is, I'm going to take the next bet and go from there. And it's a lot of what we learn from betting on startups. You know, we, it's almost like that that uh, seed investment, and then if they get traction and they serve some customers, well, maybe they get their Series A, um, and then so on and so forth. You know, at each particular stage, they're asking the marketplace and they're asking their team, and that is it worth the initial the, the additional investment to move yeah. the idea forward to cre- create that that value along the way. So. All of this kind of leads to a question that was, should have probably been in the beginning, um, which is um, how, and it's a question I've been avoiding, how do you define innovation in the context of all of this? It seems like, mm-hmm. I mean, so you've given us a framework to go through the process of innovation, but what, like, what is the different, how do we think about this to yeah. make ourselves more uh, effective with it? So again, I think a lot of people get hung up on the word innovation because it doesn't mean anything or it means everything. Um, or yes. some people jump to immediately having to come up with flying cars. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the way I define innovation in the book is, you know, innovation is basically just taking your ideas and creating value from those ideas. And it, but it's the yeah. process of doing that. You can't just have an idea. You got to take the idea and, and do something to create value uh, from that. And that's, that's innovation. You can do that in a company you know, in your existing job, there's always problems. There's always opportunities that you can say, hey, if I solve that, I can create value. And so you can do it when you have a lot of knowns and you can do it in the environment where it's like, hey, I've got a brand new idea to how to change the world. That applies. Now, how you get there and the time it takes to get there and and what you need along the way may differ, but the, the fundamental innovation of taking an idea and incrementally moving it forward to create value that's the process that we want to talk about and accelerate in everybody. Okay. And so in that context, like how can I, how can I turn an idea into value? There's innovation that can happen in products and mm-hmm. in offers, which is not necessarily just the product itself mm-hmm. in marketing in the business model, there's innovation kind of across the board. So, uh, so yeah, go ahead. Go on. No, no. Re- I was going to say like, there's certain, I guess, skill sets in that you can start thinking about um, that if either you have now or, or you can build upon, I call them the accelerator superpowers. Uh, basically, it's like, how do you uh, increase your curiosity so that you're, again, having access to new ideas and, and new people and new networks? Um, how do you build your optimism? Because entrepreneurs know that you know every day is a slog and, and you're never going to get everything right because you're working in a lot of unknowns. And so how do you stay optimistic around the fact that even if something, even if one of your assumptions isn't valid, you can test something else or you can come up with another idea. Yeah. So optimism, um, resourcefulness, uh, you know, at the earliest stages, you're never going to have the resources that you need. So how do you stay resourceful around it? Uh, resilient, knowing f- for a fact that, again, most of these ideas are going to fail, but how do you keep pushing forward I- ideas that are showing um, evidence of, of success? How do you stay customer driven, you know, or focus on the stakeholder of whoever had that has that problem? How can I solve that for them? Um, action oriented, you know, basically, it doesn't matter if you have an idea, you have to take action on that idea to actually create value. And then finally, the last superpower is really collaborative. How do, how do you, uh, nobody builds a company or nobody builds something of real value without working with others. So how do you, you know, engage with others to both vet your ideas as well as find the right resources and tools that you need to, to move the idea forward. Okay. 
Yeah. I mean, that that sounds like a whole set of skill sets for dealing with failure, but because <laughs> innovation does <laughs> involve so much, like it, I, I think of them like little failure versus big failure, like yeah. failure with a capital F is, I don't even know what it is. It's just like giving up, right? Well, uh, there's, but- there's failure from incompetence or, or knowing that you should have done something different perhaps, uh, yeah. or, or failure from the standpoint of we had an assumption we tested it. It was wrong. Okay. We learned from that particular experiment, you know, and it's really about how do you accelerate that learning process, knowing that a lot of the learning, uh, it, learning itself comes from the fact that you don't know something <laughs> until you yeah, do. Yeah. And so that process of learning. Okay. So you've been connected like with, uh, obviously you've been connected, you've been involved in the venture capital or in the um, corporate funded startup, if we can put sure. it in air quotes there. Uh, so like a capital driven startup. And you've also been connected with lots of more like bootstrap small businesses, whether they're in tech or something else. Um, how does innovation fit like in those different contexts? Are there are there different approaches that you might take going through this process with someone who may feel like, okay, I have like my, my runway <laughs> is like the $5,000 startup capital that I'm willing sure. to commit to this yeah. versus my runway is, uh, you know, $2 million that was given to me that's somebody else's money. Yeah. Like how, how do you play with these things in that context? I think a, a lot of it goes down to, again, what type of ideas are you trying to move through the funnel? Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a $5,000 idea and, and creating a you know $10,000 value for you as the entrepreneur, uh, you know, a new, training series or something like that, that but that, yeah. that particular idea may not be venture fundable from the standpoint of you know an outside investors looking at putting capital in and having a you know 100x return on that capital so a lot of the stuff that goes i think a lot of people get hung up or or um get on the wrong track sometimes they think they need venture capital when that that particular idea is never um really going to get the the type of um notice from a venture capital type of person because they're looking for Again, 100x types of returns, and those are different types of ideas, usually transformational types of ideas, rather than plenty of businesses out there that can be started without having to go to a, a venture capital person to, to make that happen. And I, yeah. I think what this process allows you to do is, again, you can be on any of those particular paths, but what the process allows you to do is to, again, incrementally think through where are you at on that particular path and what's that next bet? Does the next bet have to be? hundred million dollars, uh, or can it be, you know, a thousand dollar bet? Uh, and, yeah. and as you grow up and move the the business forward, those bets may become bigger as you show traction and, and evidence that, uh, you're, you're onto something that you may want to scale at some point. Okay. Um, I, I guess one of the preconceptions that we've talked about already, um, but that maybe we're thinking about is, um, so a lot of us do think do think of innovation as something that happens through technology, right? We think of, okay, innovation right. equals technology, um, but there are plenty of non-tech businesses that benefit from the same process. Um, so how, how do those two different contexts inform it? Or are we all technology businesses? Because yeah. here I am talking to you on Zoom. We're going to publish this through YouTube and, and through uh, yes. podcast RSS feeds and all of that. So so my belief is is technology, it used to be a, a vertical, uh, yeah. you know, something within a company that even, you know, there was a person in charge of technology. Um, 
one of the big disruptions, and I talk about this in the book, is is the fact that we anybody has access to this technology now. And you know, you think about no code tools or you know even access to markets, you know, um, marketing systems and things along those lines. Where ten years ago those were not possible. And so yeah. literally everybody is tech enabled and such that they can take their idea and start experimenting with it and seeing if they're onto something and testing those assumptions and, and growing and building stuff. You know, I, I joke when I, when I talk on stage, um, I pull out my iPhone and say, how many of you have an iPhone out there? And everybody raises their hand. And it's like, okay, so how much, how much value do you have in your pocket? Do you have any idea? You know, what would it have cost in 1986 to have all this in your pocket? And you could go back and look at the Radio Shack ads back in the 80s and you know the fax machine and the video recorder and everything else. And, and you're literally walking around with you know $150,000 worth of equipment that you know in, in only 20 years ago. And, and then you double that from the standpoint of say, okay, how much value is all access to all the world's knowledge? Well, you have that too in your pocket. Um, you know, the fact that in 86, you would have had to have a supercomputer, a Cray supercomputer um, to have that same computing power as you have in your pocket. And that yeah. was $32 million. So you're, you're literally walking around with $32 million of value outside of all the knowledge of the world in your pocket. That alone changes the landscape of what can be built, who can build it. And it, it's both optimistic and, and terrifying at the same time um, because <laughs> yeah. you know the world is changing so fast. One of my favorite things that I discovered in the course of um, one uh, one bit of research into um, you know computing technology was Deep Blue, the supercomputer that beat Gary Kasparov in chess in the late 90s, if I'm remembering right. Yep. In 2013, I believe that was the right year, the iPhone that came out that year had as much computing power that you were sticking in your pocket yep. as, as this world-famous supercomputer. Well, that's, that's excellent. Um, and, and so now we all have even more powerful supercomputers. Yeah, just, no excuse. Just, no excuse not to end yeah. anymore. <laughs> so let's, let's transition into where folks can get more from you. Um, Obviously, there is, and and I'll make sure to include all of these uh, these links in the description. Um, obviously, there's the book itself itself, which is accelerated: a guide to innovating at the speed of change that goes much deeper into what we've talked about here. Yeah, I I have the Kindle ebook version, so mine doesn't look as pretty. <laughs> um, so where where do folks go to learn about the book and yeah. um, and more about you? Yeah, so you can, the easiest way is to go to Ardinger.com. Uh, it's got information about the book. It also links to our podcast, which is at InsideOutside.io. Uh, inside uh, we yes. publish that basically weekly uh, and have been doing so way before podcasts were cool. Um, and, and so we've had a chance to really talk to some of the best and the brightest in the world of innovation through those years. Uh, and we also publish a weekly newsletter called the IO Newsletter. And I encourage people to um, you know, tap into that. Uh, each week, we push out at least you know, 10 or 12 stories that we are uh, curating every week and along with other information that we're seeing in the world of innovation. Um, and then finally, you know, I'm pretty easy to see on LinkedIn and, and uh, at Ardinger on Twitter. Uh, happy to connect with folks uh, any way I can. Excellent. And I know that, you know, it's, it's very easy for us in kind of the marketing world to think of the next campaign, the next offer, and not step back and arguably do the exact same thing that your podcast name suggests. We can think inside of our industry and we can think about the right things to do from inside of our industry, but also get inspiration from, get ideas from, and connect to 
people outside of the industry, um, including folks in the startup world and in the technology world. And uh, so I'd strongly recommend folks. I mean, you're you're a trusted source. You are a force to be reckoned with on the Silicon Prairie. Um, and so I'd strongly encourage folks to, uh, to, to, to learn from you and to go deeper. Thanks, Roy. Yep. Thank you, Brian, for being here. And thank you to everyone who's engaged with this episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I'd love to hear even just one big takeaway that you have from listening to Brian speak today. And I'd encourage you to check out more uh, at the links in the description. Thanks. And I'll see you again next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.